0: are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs.
1: Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast. My guest is uh, Julian Bayless. He's a biodiversity and protected area specialist. He's found a secret forest in the country of Mozambique. So Julian, thanks for coming. How are you doing?
2: Hey, good Good evening, Richard. Uh, I'm doing fine. Uh, greetings from a uh, rather blustery mountain in North Wales in the UK. Oh, right now you're in North Wales? Very nice. <laughs> it's my, my UK base is, is here. When, when I'm not in Africa, and, uh, then I'm here. I'm supposed to be in Ethiopia. My job at the moment is working for the Ethiopian Wildlife Conservation Authority um, on a, uh, called a, a GEF project, a global environment facility project. Uh, this one is through the UND and I'm supposed to be there but because of COVID-19 I've been uh, sort of repatriated back to my UK home base which is on a, a wee mountain in North Wales where I have a converted chapel which is my home.
1: I hope there's uh, interesting stuff to explore at least in your local area too.
2: Yeah, it's great. North Wales is beautiful. It's, um, there's still a lot of wilderness here and you have uh, rolling oak forests coming down to the sea, and these uh, these oak forests are very ancient, hundreds and hundreds of years old. Uh, there's lots of mountains, and there's only a national park. Uh, there's a lot of beauty, there's a lot of places to explore. Uh, yeah, Wales is good. Wales is a, is, a, is a very nice place to be based if if you're not exploring various inaccessible areas of Africa. Well, how did you first find out about this
1: forest in Mozambique, and you know where is it located?
2: Sure, well, the um, the expedition to Mount Lico is building on about 15 years of biodiversity research, biodiversity surveys in this part of Africa. It's part of a larger conservation program to try and bring attention and focus to the high altitude mountains of southern Malawi and northern Mozambique uh, to generate an interest towards their protection. And the expeditions, and this is one of a series that's been going on for the last 15 years, um, is all about finding that evidence base um, to, to pro- provide the evidence base in order, you know, to provide the justification to generate funds and management strategies, et cetera, to try and protect these places. Um,
1: so, well, this particular uh, forest, I mean, has anyone lived there ever, as far as you can tell, and where is it?
2: Right, well, um, it's in northern Mozambique in Zambezia. Um, the local people surrounding the base know of nobody who's ever been there. Um, and we we asked the communities on, on all sides of the mountain and they said, no, oh, no, no, we don't go there. They, um, it, we can't get there. It's too difficult to get there. Um, there's no paths, etc. You have to try and climb the rocks and we don't know anybody who's ever done it. But what they did say, which is quite interesting, is that uh, they, they talked of a tribe of little people who lived mm-hmm. scale it but the ropes um, snapped and they all fell down and died so the the local people say that the the little people at the top cut the ropes Um, so the local people know of nobody who's ever been up there we went up there in the knowledge that there was there was no record of human humans being up there however we did find some pieces of pottery now this is very interesting because the pottery was Wait, uh,
1: if if um, can you picture this as like a donut, you know, yes. laying on the land? Is that
2: what it yes. looks like, kind of? That's it, pretty much like a donut, um, and and it, it, it was igneous rock. It was molten, and it bubbled up through softer rock, um, and then cooled. This one cooled in the shape of a donut, um, and then the the surrounding softer softer rock weathered away uh, to expose the the crater, and then in this crater formed a forest, a wet forest, a rainforest, if you like. And that uh, rainforest has essentially been stable or been been there for hundreds of thousands, if not longer, years. Um, That's really and, cool. How, yeah. how high are the cliffs? And did you uh, helicopter in there, or you guys climbed? <laughs> no, we, we we didn't have a budget for a helicopter, um, but I I did buy a drone and I, I went. The first, I mean, I, I found this place in about 2012 using satellite imagery, um, but it took a few years of planning to find the time to sort of um, you know, and, and the window of opportunity to actually try and locate it on the ground. So, I mean, there's two stages to, um, if you like, the, these type of expeditions. The first is trying to find the sites. And, and this is where essentially modern technology um, and provides an advantage. We, we, we have an advantage over, for example, scientific expeditions that maybe occurred 100-odd years ago in the sense that we, we have satellite imagery, we have, uh, you know, uh, high resolution satellite imagery that we can we can look down into large inaccessible areas and see with our own eyes um in in, in almost real time um what 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 the the landscape looks like and so going through satellite imagery and there's nothing wrong with google earth you can use google earth i've used google earth a lot i use google earth for the first discovery which was mount Marbu in 2005 and that turned out to be the largest rainforest in Southern Africa. And in a way, that's where everything started based on that discovery in 2005. Um, and then since this time, we've been exploring the several other mountains. And Lico is one I, I saw using the satellite imagery in 2012. But then it took a few years to sort of plan, plan the, the, the time and the opportunity to go and, and have a look. Because it's in the African bush, it's nowhere near a tarmac road. So you have to come off the road and then you actually have to figure out how you get to the mountain through the bush. Pushed. I mean, often um, it's difficult to see roads, especially dirt roads, if they're, if they're covered in vegetation. And and and, and often the bridges have gone. So you, you, you can drive down a road for maybe 10 kilometers, a dirt road for 10, 15 kilometers, and then you'll come on to, to in, it's heading in the right direction, but then you'll come to a, a river crossing where the bridge has collapsed. And there's no, necessarily no way of getting through that. So you have to turn around, go back and start again. So it's all quite a lot of trial and error trying to figure out a way to get there. So on the first recce, I got about six kilometres away, had to stop the car, and then I walked to the base of the mountain because I could then see it in the distance. And luckily, on, on that occasion, I bought a drone. So I was able to fly the drone up and over the crater and then look down to confirm with my own eyes, with, uh, with the video footage, that we were actually dealing with a basin full of forest, which was tremendously exciting. That was that eureka moment of discovery um, of con- confirmation of what you had envisaged was there to the actuality that it is there. And that's how, really, how
1: big is the, uh, like, how high were the cliffs and how so big is the, the uh, top of the it's
2: About half a kilometer up. So um, there, there is a lower point than that, which is the part that we climbed up, but pretty much three-quarters of the way around it rises between 400 to 600 meters from the ground. That's so about half a kilometer so you're really pushing the height of the drone because the drone only goes up to about 500 meters. So we had to find a spot which was about 400 meters to the crater and then fly the drone up and over, over that. But, um, wow. Yeah. And then, and, then, and then it's really figuring out, um, you know, how are we going to get up there and how we are going to investigate the forest? So the local people confirmed that basically, you know, they knew of nobody who'd ever been up there. And the reason being is you can't get there you have to, there's no roads, there's no routes. there's no path, um, and it's a sheer rock face which is essentially impenetrable. So that, that then confirmed the fact that we needed to bring in some professional climbers to, to assist us.
1: So, so they felt like pygmies lived up there and wouldn't let anyone go up <laughs> well, there?
2: You come across that a lot in Africa. There, it's not just Lico, in, in many mountains that I've been to, um, the story of the mythical little people the tribe of little people in Batwa that, that live uh, on the top um, comes out quite often. It's a story we hear quite a lot. So where does that come from? I don't know. But the interesting thing about Liko is we found this pottery. Now, the pottery was, was close to the stream. Um, and as we walked up the stream, and this is shattered pottery. As we walked up the stream, we came across three upturned pots. So these are big earthenware clay pots that had been turned over and placed on the ground, and there were three of them, like in a triangle, and these were near the source of the stream. Um, so upon further investigation, that these would appear to be offerings to the gods um, to, to keep the streams flowing, to keep the water flowing, because the, the, the stream flows off the side of the uh, Inselberg, off side of the mountain, and into the flatlands below. And of course, that water is then required to, to irrigate the, the crops, irrigate the land and especially during the dry season so that there's water so they, the crops can grow and, and, and local people can, can live off the, off, off the crops. So it's a phenomenon known as a rainmaker mountain, and it's being found on, on a few other places in this part of Africa as well. And this is set essentially ceremonial. But the interesting thing here is that the pots uh, that the local people, the local community around them, didn't know of anybody who'd been up there. So these pots predate local knowledge we're talking um, and, and the shattered pottery is a different age to the the upturned pots so the upturned pots are essentially maybe 300 years ago but the shattered pottery that we found the clay bits of clay pot we found in the stream further down we've carbon dated those oh we're them. they're not carbon dated we've had them dated based on the pattern um to be somewhere between uh, 1400 and 900 a.d so they oh. are they are old so this is the local people don't know if anybody's been up there. So that begs the question: Was it a different tribe at that time? All of those years ago, there has been a lot of movement in Africa. There's been a lot of migration, the Bantu migration, but from the, from the central areas down. From well, the uh, wait. quick question here. So, yeah, the people
1: that were up there, they probably wouldn't come down, or couldn't come down, and they had a, You know, they they must have gone up there when the landmass didn't look like that, and then maybe they were trapped up there.
2: And it changed otherwise how would they get up to well mm, that's a possibility however the the i think the pots are ceremonial so in in a sense you would have had a sort of witch doctor type figure and he would have been a rainmaker somebody who, who just prayed to the gods for the rain um and and in you know in, in 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 african folklore or mythology that is a very important role it's a very important position um so I think, based on the pottery, that this man would have scaled Lico to place the pots and then somehow come come down. I'm not sure if there would have been a community living up there, because we didn't find evidence of that. The pottery is evidence of uh, human visitation a long time ago, but the way the pots have been placed and, and where the pots are suggests that it's ceremonial, and if it's ceremonial, then um, it, 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 it implies that somebody like a witch doctor figure, a rainmaker man, born, uh, would have, uh been, would have gone up there to make the offering and then somehow got down. And he would have climbed up, I guess, using very rudimentary uh, uh, rope and ladders made out of vines and, and, and poles and bamboo poles or something like that. Um, it would have been extremely dangerous um, and very treacherous. I mean, the, the, the age difference between the pottery is quite substantial. I mean, the, the latest pottery found is probably 300 years old, and then the pottery before so, that is going back to, you know, six to 900 years old. So, so once your uh,
1: thought? Like uh, very hardy people made a trek, maybe a religious trek up to the top of the mountain to make <laughs> offerings over time?
2: Well, I think, I think very, very occasionally. I don't think it would have been a very frequent thing. Um, I mean, based, like I say, based on the, the pottery, it it implies that there were quite large time gaps between between the offering. Um, yeah, so there we go. I mean, it opened a new door to the mystery of maplika We weren't expecting that because the local people didn't know of anybody who'd been up there. So, How, how
1: big is the area up there? It's are you not, able to get an estimation? It's not a particularly big mountain.
2: It's about a kilometer across. So it's, a, it's got a diameter of about, it's essentially a circle or an oval, and, there's about a, and, and the diameter is essentially about one kilometer. So it's not a massive site. And that's probably why we, we are coming to it uh, later in the day after, because like I say, we started this work in about 2005. So we've been essentially working our way through the very large mountain massifs. Uh, that we find in northern Mozambique, like Mount Mabu, like Mount Namuli, like Mount Moolanji in southern Malawi. These are big. Uh, they are large massifs covering, covering hundreds of kilometers squared um, and rising up to over 3,000 meters or 2,000 meters, etc. So Liko is essentially just a small one. It's a very small one in comparison to the others that are in that area. Um, but what struck me when I looked at the satellite imagery was, just how interesting it was! It looked like a crater. It looked like a volcano full with a basin of forest, all by a very small one with a kilometer with a with a crater rim of about a kilometer across. Um, but I mean, the interesting thing was, you know, it occurred to me at the time is maybe you can't get there, and if you can't get there, then you know the forest will be very unique and very special. Um, so that's that's the basis of, of that was the basis of the expedition, and, and the local people confirmed that they knew of nobody living.
0: If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes.
2: Are there
1: any animals up there? Like, how long were you up there? And how much did you explore? Is it just like virgin forest? Or what did you say?
2: Yeah, there's plenty of animals up there, really. I mean, um, we, I mean, it's only a small forest. So it's difficult to uh, you, you wouldn't expect things like elephants or even monkeys really too much, not in a kilometer across. But we put some camera traps out we came we heard uh, bush babies which are small primates they are in the trees and very um, we saw them but we didn't really get any, any proper good photographs of I did record their call though so you can but we, we, they are galagos which are a little um, they're, they're essentially night apes a bit like uh, the Loris type characters the lorises that you find um, and then and then the camera trap pulled out um, things like uh, antelope there's an tree at antelope on one of the um, the stills there. So, I mean, how did the antelope get up there? I mean, I guess if you look at uh, a lot of mountain goats, they can essentially almost climb vertical cliffs. So I think that's probably how these ones got up there as well. They might've been chased up by, I don't know, wild animals a long time ago, or even by fire, or even by humans trying to hunt them. Uh, But um, there is a small group of of, of antelope up there. We didn't come across any evidence of um, Carnivores. We didn't come across any evidence of things like leopards, although it would be a perfect place for something like a leopard to hang out. Um, We did a lot of small mammal trapping, so we came across little shrews and mice and rats, pouched rats. That's uh, probably quite a large large rat, um, although it's quite different to what what one would think of. Um, And then, yeah, lots of other things really. We looked at the amphibians, we looked at the reptiles. It looks like we got a new species of um, gecko, a tree gecko, we got a new species of frog. Uh, In the one stream at the center of the basin we found fish. These fish are mountain catfish, little barbels, about a couple of inches long. Um, They're new. And also in the stream we found uh, crabs, so new species of crab, new species of fish new species of gecko, new species of frog, and uh, we think the new species of shrew, the new species of small mammal, and the new species
1: yeah, I figured, of as well. I figured you would see lots of new species there, or if there's one that's the same, you know, in the lowlands, you could uh, sequence both and see the differences to get an idea maybe of, you know, using molecular clocks, how long living creatures have been up there. Any, any estimate yeah. on how long the, the, uh, the feature has been there, when it was last connected to the land around it?
2: Um, yeah, we're working on that. I mean, um, in terms of the DNA, the sequencing of the animals, that's exactly what we're doing. We are, uh, obviously DNA is used a lot in taxonomy these days, so um, the animals are being sequenced and they are being compared to um, their closest relatives and, and the very similar species that you found on the other mountains in the area. And, and really, that's how you determine that they are distinct. That's how you determine that they are different or that they're new, is when the, the sequencing... I mean, obviously, you can look at the morphology as well. I mean, there's nothing wrong with morphological taxonom- taxonomy. I mean, that's how it's all done
0: in, uh, in years
2: gone by. Um, but the DNA will tell you for sure, you know, the differences, the, the, the molecular difference between, you know, this, this, fro- this type of frog of this, this genera from, this, from Lico and this, this type of frog from this genera from uh, Magnumuli, from for example. Um, and yeah, when we do the analysis, we're looking at divergence uh, dates as well to see when um, these, these, um, these animals diverged. So we've got some of that data. I mean, it's, you're talking millions of years that um, these species, millions of years ago, that these species became distinct. So, I'm writing a big paper on this at the moment, which is bringing the results of all the 15 years of research, of biodiversity survey, or the results of the biotic investigations from this part of Africa, and also linking that in with the abiotic, so the, the geology and the climate uh, and the geological topography, and just bringing it all together to basically essentially sort of um, create a new ecoregion for this part of Africa, because the evidence base is. Um, and we've been finding a lot of new species in pretty much every taxonomic group over the last 15 years and they are distinct from this, this area, this region of Africa, this mountainous region of Africa.
1: Do um, you think uh, that um, the- anyone, anyone lived up there or maybe died up there or was sacrificed up there? Like, they, How long do you think it'll take you to explore? Are you going to go back and explore the place so that you know everything about it or are you gonna, is this enough for now?
2: Well, I've already been back once. The main expedition was in May 2018, and then I returned uh, just last year, just at the end of last year, I think it was in about October 2019, um, this time with a Japanese film crew. Um, and that provided me with a good opportunity to have a look again. And um, that's when we, we picked up a few other interesting bits and pieces, such as the tree gecko and, and crabs and stuff like that. Um, and yeah, I, I, I mean, the whole of uh, the anthropological side and the archaeology side of Lico, it remains to be properly investigated. We are ecologists. We are conservation scientists. Uh, we're not archaeologists, and you know, so we are really just you, um... the surface, we're really just scratching the surface for LICO and and I think it's it's the start of a mystery which is starting to unfold, but still the story um, is not clear.
1: Have you thought about um, bringing up uh, one of the local tribes people and having to make an offering, doing like a ceremonial type thing that would really, you know, ingratiate you with the local people? You know, getting one of them up there when they normally couldn't and doing, a, again, a current offering?
2: Well, the they community, um, b- before we do any of these expeditions, we go through the local chiefs. Uh, we go through the local communities. We work with, uh, we have counterparts in Mozambique, so we bring people up from... Uh, the National uh, Natural History Museum in Maputo, the capital. We work with various uh, Mozambican research institutes and outfits. Uh, the expedition to Mount Lico was a very uh, global gathering. Uh, we had a lot of uh, Mozambicans uh, on the uh, from the Museum, the Natural History Museum, from the Department of Agriculture, from the Dorongosa Field Research Unit. Um, but, and then also on the team, we had people from Brazil, people from South Africa, people from America, uh, people from the UK. Um, who else was there? There was, there was a whole. There was a lot of national nationalities, so it's very global. But when we, before we, before we even attempt to go up Lico, we, we go through the local community. We go through the local chiefs, and we ask for their blessing. So um, they then we then walked up with the chiefs from all of the communities. We all gathered together. We walked up to the base of Lico before we started climbing, and then they did a ceremony. To ask the spirits of the mountain to um, to grant us entry and to grant us safe passage and uh, ask for their blessing for us to visit the forest on Mount Liko. And it was quite a special ceremony. It involved a lot of chanting. It involved um, pouring of flour um, from the hand in, um, into a mound. So you just had a bag of flour and you poured it and you made a, a sort of mountain of flour, small mountain of flour. And then you... And that, that's not just the, that doesn't happen at Lika. We've done that at Pabu, We've done that at Mount Namuli. Um, and so there is a there is a process we go through before we we enter into these areas. We don't just turn up and we don't just say, hey, we're here now. We're going up there. We 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 ask permission. We go to the local communities. We are we we involve them. We go to the chiefs. Now, taking uh, somebody up there. Um, I can't remember. I don't think any of them wanted to go up. Really, they thought it was too frightening. No, they didn't. Um, yeah. So, um, but um, I think I think we did offer to uh, say, do you want to just a few of them want to go up the ropes or whatever, um, but they all declined. But, um, I think the other
1: did. People, uh, were they afraid for you? Were they asking you not to go, or were they just like, hey, if you want to go there, fine.
2: Um, no, they they weren't afraid for us, and um, they wanted to know why we wanted to go there. That's. And And that's often the case i mean' uh, and, and fair enough. I mean you know the local community want to know what what we're doing you know what, what's our interest. We often get um one of the common things they don't understand that we want to look at the you know the the frogs or the butterflies or whatever They're, a lot of a lot of them think we are after gemstones or something like that i mean that, we get that commonly you know what gems are you looking for? you're looking for gems or gold or something like that. You know, so we we have to talk them through the process that we're not really we're not at all interested in any of those things and we're just interested in butterflies and frogs and and crabs and fish and things like that and plants, you know, and and, and how it all fits together and that, you know, we're essentially ecologists and and also we're conservation scientists. I mean this this is all about generating the evidence base to 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 highlight um LECO itself isn't threatened because it's completely inaccessible. So I'm not really worried about, you know, lots of people turning up to go up there or something like that i don't think that will happen and it's also very remote and very difficult to find um, but for the other well, sites the, the other mountains in northern Mozambique, that's not the case they're very accessible and they're very threatened they are being destroyed in terms of the natural forest is being cut down quite fast and there's a lot of poaching and all of them are unprotected so ligo is, in itself is is secure and safe due to its inaccessibility but all of the other mountains that really that we've been working on, not and and what this is doing the expeditions to Liko, the media attention, even this interview, is it's drawing um, attention into onto the, the the threat and the plight of these mountains and the and the case of these mountains in, in this part of Africa in northern Mozambique and also the unique biodiversity that they're holding. So they have very small forests compared to something like the Amazon or the Congo, whatever, but They're very highly diverse, and so they have high levels of endemism. So uh, these are animals or plants that are found nowhere else in the world. So per square meter, they've got a high level of endemism. They've got a high level of animals found nowhere else in the world. And that's what makes them special, because these forests are essentially relics, uh, relic-outlying patches of what was once a much larger rainforest belt coming from Central Africa all the way down Southern Africa, and then uh, post-glacial uh, ice age, the forests have retreated and they've left these uh, these monta- montane patches of isolated forests. And then in these isolated forests, uh, you've, speciation has occurred. Animals, uh, they speciate, tend to speciate faster than plants because of their, uh, they regenerate faster. Then um, they have speciated. So you've got, in each of the forests, you've got unique animals and plants that are even different from the neighboring mountains. And that's very special. That's what makes this part of Africa, northern Mozambique and the mountains of Southern Malawi, very unique and very special. And all of them are unprotected, pretty much. And so that's why we need to highlight um, the, the the biodiversity case for their protection. Were, were you afraid
1: to go up there? or, I mean, you probably didn't expect anyone up there, but were you at least, uh, I don't know, did the stories uh, worry you? Or were you seasoned and you thought there'd be nothing up there except animals?
2: Um uh, no, I wasn't. I wasn't afraid at all. I mean, I've been running expeditions in in this part of Africa since the last 30 years. Um, I've run over 50 50 expeditions in rainforest in in Africa and mountains. Um, there was nothing that really uh, was going to frighten me. Up there. I don't think it was. Uh, you know, I we collect snakes. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Um, so, no, not really. I mean, it was really uh, just making just getting the time out, out of the way. Um, the forest itself was, was complete fascination. It was not at all um, any sense of fear. Have you just spurred
1: interest? Like next time you go back, is there a next time? And will archaeologists now come with you? Will anthropologists, like, uh, you know, what's next for this area? Or, you know, you've catalogued it and we're going to move on.
2: Well, in in a sense, we've we've already, um, and then end end of last year, I went to check out another site, and that's going to be the destination of the next expedition, Mount Nalumi. But uh, Lico, yeah, I mean, there's certainly one more visit to Lico because we would like, now the results are coming through of what we sampled on the first visit. That then opens up doors and formulates a whole series of other questions that, uh, are based on, on the first set of results. And the only way you can answer that is, is
0: through looking at
2: other aspects um, of that particular you know, environment on Leco. So um, I think there is, and that's very much the case for the climate change analysis. Uh, we, we dug the big soil pit, we went down 7,500 years, and now we're analyzing the pollen grains that we found at the different intervals going down through that uh, soil strata. And that will tell you what was around and what was alive ten thousand years ago, for example. Um, but on top of that, I mean, there are. For, I mean, I saw a, a, another uh, gecko going up a tree, which um we didn't manage to photograph or catch, and it's very different to the other one that we found. So, I mean, I think there's there's more stuff to find on go Certainly, one more trip would be very useful, very interesting. It's always good to go in a different time of the year because at different times of the year, then you've got different things, you know. Out. I mean, different animals and plants, either flower or they emerge at different times of the year. So uh, straddling your visits always, always pretty much gives you a different sample set from, from the time before. So going at a different time of the year, maybe six months apart or something like that, would be very constructive and very useful. So certainly there's one more visit to Lico, and, and hopefully we can sort of maybe add that on to the next expedition to uh, the, the, the next mountain we're going to go and look at, which is Mount Nalume.
1: Yeah, and I know you don't know yet, but what's your guess on when it was formed? Was it, how was it formed? Was your guess due to glaciation? Was a big uh, okay. <clears throat> rock mass left behind? Or what do you think it yeah, was?
2: Yeah, it was formed about 500 million years ago. So um, it's an Inselberg made of igneous cyanide granite. So basically, um, this was molten rock below the ground. Um, if you like a molten uh, larval field, a, m- a molten bed of, of rock. And then, under pressure, um, this liquid rock was forced up through cracks in the in the metamorphic rock, the rock that's found above it. Um, and if you like, it bubbled up, bubbled up, and it and, and as it bubbled up, it cooled. And that's why these inselbergs are often round and smooth, and even table-like because they are they are forced up and then they cool. And 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 th- th- this is below the ground. And then, over millennia, the softer metamorphic rock which is the, 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 sort of, um, the surface layer rock weathers away and as it weathers away it exposes these, these giant granite bubbles uh, that have cooled as they were forced up through the softer rock and that's essentially what um, Mount Lico is and essentially what uh, all of the other Inselbergs in this part of northern Mozambique are and they vary in age between about 120 million years to about a thousand million years um, Lico itself is somewhere between halfway, probably around about five or six hundred million years old.
1: So it's like a, I guess, you got a magma pimple that formed on the surface of the earth and now is covered in forest and all kinds
2: of stuff. Yeah, pretty much. No, I, mean, I mean, the question I think you might be um, wanting to answer is, is when did that softer rock that surrounded it um, weather away to such an extent that Lico then became isolated and you couldn't get up there? Um, so, that's, that's a more difficult question to ask, um, but a lot, probably a long time ago, we're probably talking hundreds of thousands of years ago, Nico would have been um, inaccessible, it would have been isolated. I mean, to have that, have the surrounding land, whether to such an extent to, you know, expose what was below the ground, to expose it as a mountain with a crater half a kilometer up into the air, a very long time, so yeah, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of years. Um, but the DNA sequencing can tell you how long the species have been um, distinct. So it all depends if the species were evolved on leco or are they relics of a population from a forest that covered Leco but now they're only found on Lico. So that's another question.
1: Well, very cool. I'm glad that uh, that you're doing this stuff. It's super interesting. I remember I saw show about Ethiopia for instance and they had a, a church that was way up at the top of this mountain you had to like kill yourself to get up there and then another one that was in a cave and it's amazing that even though there's inaccessible places like this you know people have been there you know they place pots and everything so it's it's really cool what you're doing really cool
2: cool so yeah yeah I mean yeah I mean the, the age of exploration is not over people think it's something that happened a hundred odd years ago but the last might not be the first humans ever to go set foot in these places, but we are the first biologists uh, to investigate this. So we are the first people looking at, uh, in terms of um, finding out, uh, identifying the, 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 the plants and the animals. Um, we are the first biologists to, to survey, um, using modern techniques um, and modern taxonom- taxonomy, um, uh, these, these mountains. So that's... Yeah, that's that's as exciting as being the first human evidence. <laughs> well, if you're a biologist, if you're an ecologist. Like. But essentially, like I say, this is all really about generating the evidence base to try and protect all of these sites in this part of Africa. Well, very good, Julian. We're out of
1: time. Where have you catalogued this expedition in particular and your other ones? Where can listeners go that want to learn more and see pictures and, you know, get a sense of, of where you've been?
2: Sure. I mean, I have a website. It's Um You can check out. There's a, there's a few albums. There's several albums from about I don't know, maybe 10 expeditions on there. Um, I have. Um, there's a blog with interesting links. Um, there's a, there's, a whole, there's another link with web links. Um, there's a There's a contact page. You can drop me a line. You can email me um, if you'd like to know more or ask me questions or just say hello. Please do. And so, uh, yeah, if you go to my website, uk you'll find a lot more information, and a lot more links to uh, the expedition to Mount Liko and to other expeditions in this part of, of Africa as well.
1: Julian, I, I forgot to ask you, I believe there's a National Geographic film about the Lost Forest. Can you uh, give us uh, the title and how they access it?
2: Yeah, uh, the expedition film, it's called The Lost Forest. It's on the National Geographic YouTube channel, and it came out, I think, on the 22nd of May and it's a, it's, a, it's a documentary, 22 minutes long, that covers the expedition to Mount Deco. It's made by Grain Media and it's part of a, it's one episode in a series that were commissioned by the Nobel Peace Foundation and they commissioned Grain Media to make a short series of documentaries on five of the last Nobel Peace, Peace Prizes and how the awarding of these prizes has gone on to affect work in the field. So we represent the Climate Change Award and then the use of uh, the that's the award to Al Gore and the IPCC, the International Panel of Climate Change Um, and we use a lot of the IPCC um, data, tables, analysis methods in in the work that we do and particularly on this expedition to Mount Lico so that's how that fits in. Anyway the the expedition documentary is a little treasure, a little piece of magic. It came out on the 22nd of May on the National Geographic YouTube channel. So please have a watch
1: of that. Very good. Well, Julian, thank you for coming on the podcast. I appreciate it.
2: Lovely. Thank you very
0: much, Richard. A pleasure. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs.